Well, here we are in our final evening. What flavor of Vedna is that for you? <laughs> Maybe mixed. It's been such a rich week. I've really been reflecting on the power of this kind of retreat and the content of this retreat. And I was telling Temple this afternoon that I'm riding on all the merit of all of you (laughs) who've been diving in so deeply. And as I reflect on my practice, I started sitting at Spirit Rock in 1999, and I've never sat a retreat quite like this, where there's so much opportunity to really pick apart the four foundations. And unless you do which I've done the dedicated practitioners program or a deep, long two-year study program, there isn't really access in such an intentional way with someone so masterful (laughs) who spent so much time really looking at how to articulate and make this accessible. And it's really unique. And um, I've been having fantasies about how everyone should be required to take this kind of (laughs) retreat at Spirit Rock so we know what the heck we're doing when we come to practice and... You know, I remember sitting a long retreat years ago here, and it was the spring, and I had come out of a winter of kind of feeling blue, and there was so much sukha, so much joy. I was just ecstatic, and the deer are out, and the, you know, flowers are blossoming, and I thought I had clearly arrived in Nibbana. I'd never been so happy in my whole life, and, you know, floating around, and I go in to see my teacher, James Baraz, and he said, that's wonderful, but are you investigating Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha? You know, and I'm looking at him, I want to punch him. I'm like, what do you, what, investigate? Like, I'm blissed out, you know? I'm happy, like, I'm good. Who wants to investigate anything? I'm like, what do you, like, there's nobody having this experience. What? So, you know, that was... The perfect question because we could we can come on retreats and we can spend all kinds of time in all kinds of states and have no map what's going on what else is happening and was I heading towards awakening I don't know I was having a great time but was I having any insight or realization into suffering in the end I was just in the joy that I wasn't really looking at what caused it I wasn't looking at what happens when it ends. And so this is very potent ground, you know, that we've been treading. And so I really commend you and bow to you for your courage and your commitment to coming on this kind of retreat. Because we're, we're really looking at going beyond samsara, not just getting more comfortable. And I teach outside of retreat centers, secular mindfulness, I've taught inside corporations, and not everybody's up for that, you know, really going this direct path, like all the way. And um, early in my practice, I was very into Pema Chodron, still still get very inspired by her teachings. Um, I think it was because for me, it was really important to have a strong woman as a role model for me. And... And she would talk about how we can use the Dharma to, and meditation to create this cocoon, you know, where things get more comfortable and we start to sort of build this, you know, room where things need to be quiet and we need to be kind and patient and loving and talk with a soft voice and bow and... You know, she said, great, you know, but that cocoon is going to become your hell because it's not about that. It's about being, she talks a lot about being a warrior. You know, it's about being able to be in the world and and have some place inside ourselves that we can go to while stuff isn't going well, while we're not getting our preferences met, while we're not while the person in front of us isn't doing what we want. And that was really important for me to hang on to because I I was so ready for a nice cozy cocoon. And with the 
childhood I had, I thought, if I could get some cocooning, great, like, (laughs) I'll take that. But there was still something that knew, something in me that knew that that wasn't going to be the end, you know, the end possibility for true or lasting freedom. So I wanted to share this quote with you, all, all of you on the direct path, whether you knew that when you signed up for the retreat <laughs> or not. This is from uh, a Tibetan teacher. Her name is Tenzin Palmo from the book The Heart of Life. The aspiration to go beyond samsara. Most people feel cozy enough in samsara. They do not really have the genuine aspiration to go beyond samsara. They just want samsara to be a little better. It is quite interesting that samsara became the name of a perfume. And it is like that. It seduces us into thinking that it's okay. Samsara is not so bad. It smells nice. The underlying motivation to go beyond samsara is very rare, even for, those who go, even for people who go to dharma centers. There are many people who learn to meditate and so forth, but with the underlying motive that they hope to make themselves feel better. And if it ends up making them feel worse, instead of realizing that this may be a good sign, they think there is something wrong with dharma. We are always looking to make ourselves comfortable in the prison house. We might think that if we get the cell wall painted a pretty shade of pale green and put in a few pictures, it won't be a prison anymore. Uh, I'll, I'll post this up, the heart of life. Well, that's not what we've been up to, <laughs> painting the walls a pretty shade of green or hanging pictures. We're basically taking the wallpaper down and the paint. And <laughs> no, we're just looking, right? We're, we're actually using the seven factors, using everything that we've learned here, using our practice, your years of mindfulness practice, to penetrate, to see what's happening. Not just to make ourselves feel better, and there's nothing wrong with feeling better. We know that too, right? So we want to invite you into a little more inquiry as we're closing the retreat to get a chance to reflect on with everything that we've studied and practiced together, what you're taking away what's landed in your heart, mind, body. And so we have a journaling, and then we'll do a little inquiry together. So I'll give you the journal prompts. The first one, what are you taking away from this retreat? It's just going to be open streaming, whatever you want to write. What are you taking away from the retreat? And the second one is, what aspirations do you have going forward? What aspirations do you have going forward or for when you go home after this? So we'll give you about seven, eight minutes to journal. And there'll be one more journal prompt that I'll give you after this. But just write for a while and see what comes up.
for the next journaling prompt is to look at from what you've written about your what you're taking away and what your aspirations are what are three commitments you'd be willing you're willing to make three commitments you're willing to make for your ongoing for the support of your ongoing awakening if three feels like too many you can have one or two I wouldn't suggest more than three unless it feels really doable. Three things you're willing to commit to going forward to support your awakening, to support your practice. That's one question or two? That's one question. Said a few different ways. (laughs) We're intentionally leaving this very broad so you can see how what comes up for you, right? Commitments can be small but very significant, very meaningful, very powerful. They can be medium, they can be really big, whatever feels right to you. So we'll get in our last triad, and you'll have an opportunity to share your commitments. So let you form your own groups of three, maybe with people you haven't worked with, or if you've worked with everyone, find someone nearby. Raise your hand if you haven't found a group yet. And we'll have one group of four. You can shop around, Massimo, for which group you want. Which group do you want to... You're dividing yourself. Okay. Here he goes. Okay. All right. So just sense your body. 
Sense your arms and legs or take a breath. So you can be really open to the person who's going to share. Open yourself if you're sharing. Practicing this embodied listening, embodied speaking that we've been doing all week. Whoever feels ready will be the first one to go. You'll have you'll have about three, maybe four minutes. Just talking about commitment? Yep, just sharing what you're committing to. We can begin. And first person completing your share. And let's just pause for a minute. Let's pause for a minute. We're going to keep the container. So just take a moment in between sharing. Melinda, just we're gonna just pause in silence for a minute. Thanks. Yeah. So it's not so much a group discussion, right? It's somebody sharing, and if there's some interaction, fine. Let's not open it up as a group discussion. You'll have some time at the end to do that in the triads. Just giving each person you're listening for what their commitments are doesn't mean there can't be any interaction. Okay. So next person, share your commitments with your group.
Thinking that person, next person. Oh, did we do three hours? Yeah.
So the group of four, your last person can go. And the groups of three, you can talk about what that was like to hear each other's commitments. You can thank and appreciate your group and then come back to the circle, the horseshoe. One commitment that uh, we're trying to wrestle Temple into is to transcribe the, these talks into a book uh-huh. at some point. No small project. <laughs> yes. Here we go.
Here we go. And on the cover, I thought of an image where there's a boat, right? A boat going down yeah. river. Oh, yeah, the oars. And the oars, but there's nobody in the boat. <laughs> there's just a yeah, rough pattern of something upstreaming. To do it, to, to do a book. I didn't think that you could add a book into it because you didn't schedule get, for two you years. You took now. schedule oh, two yeah. years. For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be a long-term plan. Yeah. <laughs> so you can bother him about that later. <laughs> Here we go. Here it comes. Yeah. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to get your phone number later. Here's a quote that is going to accent what just happened here. And you might know this quote. I've lived by this quote for many years. It's from Guta. Guta. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation... There is one elementary truth that ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no person could have dreamed would have come their way. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. So we just saw it happen. So that's to fan the flames of your commitments that you just made. (laughs) So who would like to share what they're committing to or anything about that process? We have a few minutes Hmm. I'd like to repeat what two people in my group said, not me. Did you get their permission to repeat it? I'm just going to say, studying the aggregates came out. Yeah. Uh That 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 was the targeted area that people want to go after. Uh huh. So I didn't have a kitten, but I there you go. Just saying. Sally is an excellent teacher on the aggregates. Sally and her husband Guy, they are phenomenal at um, tuning into these teachings, the Pali Canon teachings. They've spent so much time with them in deep practice and study. So to talk to them is to get something that's just the fidelity between how they practice, how they train people, um, their understanding is really beautiful. They're great teachers on that, that topic, the five aggregates. And you can find talks of theirs also, like one-hour talks on the five aggregates. Great. What else? Yeah, Paul. Come to this retreat again. Great. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Bring some friends. Yeah. <laughs> I just meant to say that I really like how small this retreat is. That mm-hmm. uh, does make a, a difference. They kind of get to know people just a, a little glimmer mm-hmm. of which, you know, from sitting near people um, and just from the diets and the triads and I don't know how you would say the four people thing. <laughs> and um, quads. Quad, thank you. Um, 
I just uh, feel a lot of warmth for everybody and just so much respect for, for people's process and things they've gone through, the things they're going through now and things they may go through in the future. It's just really um, lovely. I committed to um, a few things, but one of them is uh, I'm trying to bring this into my community more, and I'm teaching uh, introductory classes, but one of the things that people um, sort of expressed a wish for was that we have a beautiful river that runs through our mountains, and um, so I committed to Mm. Great. Great. Wilderness Dharma, yay. <laughs> Did the Buddha ever sit inside when he was practicing or teaching? He sat inside a cave. Mm. You know, all the suttas, he's in a grove, he's in a <laughs> park, he's in, you know, by the river, on the mound, on the <laughs> in the cave, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was born under a tree, enlightened under a tree, and died under a tree. Mm-hmm. I say that because my, not that the Buddha did it, so it's the right thing to do. It's more that there's something, perhaps, that was supportive about that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was also the time and the culture, and, you know, they didn't have spirit rock, probably, or who knows what they had, but, but just something about being out in the elements and being so close to the earth and the land and the, you know, something in, in me and to it that, that might have participated. Don't know. Yeah, Taylor. Um, I did not make any commitments, but I really appreciate my group members for allowing me the space to explore why I did not. Great. Yeah, if anyone else didn't make any or this didn't feel right for you, love to hear that too. Whatever came up for you in the exercise. Yeah, Katie. Both sound really good. Thank you. Yeah.
some people, you know, come through different doors. Some people come clearly for sangha, looking for to sit together, or some support for that, and maybe the depth of the teachings come a little later, you know, or what? Who's who's Buddha to me? What does what does that mean for me in my life? Um, some people sangha comes later, right? Like, oh, right, that's actually a really important part of this. If I'm gonna stay on this path and practice the way I want to and difficult times and joyful times. I really need some more support and people who have this in common, common language and can get together and talk about what's going on. And so, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Melinda. One for myself that I just remember, I'm sorry to tell my group, but I thought of this yesterday, I think, but that I would like to find a mindful livelihood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have really had a heck of a time finding good employment, and I recognize that this is a theme that, mm-hmm. that I can apply, and it will make, it will make a difference. Mm-hmm. So what's the theme that you're applying? Mindfulness, livelihood. Uh-huh. So that, that would make a huge difference in uh-huh. how it work. Uh-huh. So I want to have, find a job where I can be mindful in the position. Well, that's clarifying, it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, a lot more clarity in the sorting. There are, I do believe, yeah. Yeah, and I... Uh, yeah, I just really um, hear that, and that's a really important part of leaving here and being in the world, yeah. right, is is the fourth noble truth. How do we make this happen? The Eightfold Path, right? Right speech, right action, right livelihood. Yeah, so that is absolutely, right, seems in alignment Mm-hmm. I, in the work that I've done for years, that's what I've done for years, is support people to try to line up, right, livelihood with their value system. And I've seen a lot of folks struggle because it's not always clear what that means. And because we need to pay the rent and we need to live and so we make choices around that the best that we can you know the best that we can and if we commit if we get clearer you know providence may move like if we have a clearer intention then it's more likely that can happen than when we're not clear when we're confused or not committed or whatnot it's maybe going to happen, but it's much way more likely it's going to happen if we're clear that's what we want and we line up in that direction. You know, what's that Zen saying? If, you're, if, you, point your cor- if you point your cart north and you want to go south, <laughs> you're not going to get there. Not for a long time, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long trip. So... Yeah, really important, right? That was a big eye-opener. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. great. Hmm. For this body, I mean. Not for me, this body. Oh, because there's no you anymore. Right. Right, okay, got it. (laughs) That body's going to look for right livelihood. Got it. Good. And you can apply with the new language and see if that... Culture <laughs> takes you. Somebody named Melinda worked at a place. And you can send them a picture of yourself in a boat. You can <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I Isabel. I share, like, not my specific commitments, but the kind of like underlying attitude behind them or realization. Mm. Yeah. So I just feel like inspired to share this in the group. So, um, I've been thinking about this retreat for a long time, but I didn't actually sign up for it until last Tuesday because last Tuesday my sister got diagnosed with a really serious, um, incurable lifelong illness um, and just has a lot of ramifications for me and my family. 
raised a lot of questions. Um, and so, the thing, one of the things that many, one of the many things I'm taking away from the week is just a really clear commitment to um, doing this work and to my spiritual awakening, mm -hmm. like both for myself because I feel like the suffering, like I actually feel like I don't have a choice, like with the yeah. suffering, like this is the option, like this is the only option. But the other light bulb that kind of went off is like just um, that this is work that I can do that has ripples for my family. Like I can't, mm. you know, it's changing what I what I can change and accepting what I cannot change. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Being the best version of me that I can be for the sake of my family that I can. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I've been in that inquiry a, a lot myself, and have had a lot of support from teachers, particularly on retreats when family members were really suffering and was it right to be on retreat? Should I be home? Um, I was, I don't know if we were talking about it, but I was en route to sit a retreat in Burma and I was in Denver for work and then I was going to leave. And while I was in Denver, the day before I was going to leave, my father got diagnosed with stage four neck cancer and they had thought it was a cyst. He got misdiagnosed for two months. They thought it was an infection, and they were giving him antibiotics. And so when they caught it, it was fully developed, for stage four. And I knew I was going to go for a month to Burma where there would be so little communication. This was maybe 10 years ago, and you know, internet was spotty at best, and the monastery was going to have no Wi-Fi whatsoever. And I just thought... What like, what am I going to do? You know, and I went back and forth and back and called my teacher. And, and I got the intuition to go, that they wouldn't actually get all the test results back and what the you know, whole sequence of treatments was going to be, probably for a few weeks anyway. And so I kind of held my breath, maybe when I get back and you know, did some email in Bangkok to try to sort things out. And it wasn't until I got out that I really knew what was going to happen and... Um, he totally survived, and he's alive today, just so you know. <laughs> Amazing story. And, and I also have a sister who's mentally ill and has two kids, and I've sat many retreats while her kids were not well and she wasn't well. And I keep coming back to the very thing that this is supporting them. You know, it is. And it's not always the right thing. You know, it, it could be that I could have stayed and that would have been fine too. But the awakening that happens here continues to ripple into my family. I know it does. And so I, you know, it's right for this body and this path to do that. And it's not ex exclusion of. It's actually like I feel like they're with me. And in a way, I'm practicing for everyone. I'm not just practicing for myself. I'm practicing for my whole family. Not as a burden, but as an aspiration, you know, to be, to have something different happen in the family system. And if nobody's waking up in the family, then what do we do? We have no bodhisattva, we have no wisdom, no awakened compassion. Then we're really like, you know, having a hard time. So thank you. Yeah. Somehow the time goes. And we get to this final hour. So let's dedicate the merit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can actually think about beings that you would like to bless or beings that are in your life people that could benefit from some blessings, from your wisdom and compassion, from our collective awakening, people who are suffering. People who are free and need wind in their sails. wake up together
May all beings everywhere be happy and healthy and safe and free. There's one more early morning sit. Don't miss it. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.